The following is a conversation with Molly Lockwood. Molly is the founder of Sea Maven Magazine, and she also happens to be my girlfriend of five years. In this episode, we discuss obsessing over surfing, learning to surf in Northern California with no wetsuit, breaking into the surf industry, crazy surf stories, and our ideas for a surfing-related dating app. Enjoy. done with a pretty decent session at uppers not the best not the worst that's pretty average there are definitely some waves so how did you get into surfing oh my gosh i got into surfing because i was always obsessed with any kind of water any body of water i was swimming in frigid rivers in yosemite i was jumping in pools and i never wanted to get out of the water so when i finally got access to the ocean, surfing just instantly became an obsession. And my younger brother went on a surfing field trip to Santa Cruz and got hooked, so he got a wave storm. And from then on, we would go out to the beach together, take turns on the wave storm, which I do not recommend. It leads to sibling fighting. (laughs) But uh, that's how I got into it. How long ago was that? Gosh, I think I'm coming up on seven years, so... I was 17 at the time. It was the summer between my junior and senior years of high school. So you and your brother, Christopher, who will be on this podcast later on. He rips. He does rip. But you and Christopher shared a wave storm, and you did not wear a wetsuit in Northern California, where the water is 50 degrees on a warm day. Right. So... I knew that surfing was going to be something I would continue with for a long time. So I did invest in my own wave storm at Costco for a hundred bucks, but I didn't really have the funds for a wetsuit at the time, nor did I necessarily see the need for one because... Because the stoke was high. Exactly. The stoke keeps you warm. So it would literally be overcast. The water is low 50s. The air temp is about the same. And what actually happened is I got these huge open wounds all over my body because something about the cold water and the wax just chafes like no other. So I looked insane on the beach in a bikini, dragging my wave storm, literally gaping sores wide open on my body, but I was having the time of my life. One time, it was an extra cold and windy day I can't even imagine, but probably unsurfable conditions. I went out with my buddy who didn't surf, so it was just me surfing. And when I got back, I had left my clothes on the beach with my car keys and my phone. Someone had thrown away my clothes and my keys. I so, don't know this story. <laughs> I had to go looking for them, and I had an inclination that they might be in the dumpster. So now I'm dumpster diving in my bikini with all my wounds. <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Sure enough, that's where it was. So you start out surfing, sharing a wave storm with your brother, no wetsuit and NorCal. But the stoke is high, so it's really fun. And when you and I met in college, 
we would regularly wake up at like 4 a.m., drive an hour and a half each way to surf, even if it wasn't good. And we were, we just were stoked about that. And I'm curious if you think that there's such thing as a sort of honeymoon phase in surfing, just like sort of in everything else, every new activity in life, where it, you're just so excited, you're so stoked that dealing with all these things doesn't really matter. What do you think? A hundred percent. Grom energy <laughs> is another way to put it. Yeah, and you can have Grom energy at any age. Um, there is most definitely a honeymoon phase in surfing. So when we first started surfing together, I had been into it for about a year and I didn't really progress much, if at all, in NorCal. So when I came down to college, I could not duck dive. If I caught one wave, it was an amazing session. So that's where we were at. And at that point, we were just ecstatic to be in the water and to be out surfing. And as I progressed over time, I've got narrowed in more on wanting to progress and wanting to get a lot of waves and do maneuvers. And so that has actually, I think, made it less fun because when I first started, I just wanted to be in the water and I didn't care. So now I just have to work harder to get to that same stoke level that I used to have. The same sort of magical feeling when you're on a wave, it's, it loses the magic if you're just going down the line again and again for years to come. So you have to keep progressing to kind of keep that going. And you do a really good job of that. All the guys at Uppers say that you surf like a guy, and they mean that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. <laughs> lesbians hit on you. Yeah. I mean, there's... I just... I get a lot of satisfaction out of the power style of surfing that you see uh, when, like, Caroline Marks and Tyler Wright doing. Just that low center of gravity and just really shredding a wave that is typically associated with men surfing. So I'm not your like graceful logger, <laughs> even if I tried. I kind of manhandle the wave, you could say. You shred the wave. <laughs> I love that we sort of started surfing together. That was awesome. We were, yeah, we're, those were... And we're still pretty competitive days. with each other over <laughs> who can do the best maneuvers. You're always saying... Oh, I got barreled, I got barreled, and I'm like, well, I didn't see it. Yeah, that's, well, so today, really so, today, today someone did see <laughs> someone it. Someone verified, so we had third party. We had, we had verification <laughs> today at Uppers, there were barrels. True story. Seriously, it <laughs> yeah, was, it was insane. Yeah, you got barreled at Cotton's. It was, it was a very hollow barrel for Cotton. I mean, it was, it was ridiculous. Can you think of a crazy surf story? Surf trip story? I can think of a couple with us, yes. too. <laughs> One of my favorite surf trips that we've ever taken was to Costa Rica. So I was actually out there for six weeks. And then three weeks in, you came out, my brother came out, some of our buddies came out. And in Costa Rica, you're in the jungle, so it can start raining at any time. During that trip, there were a lot of treks through the jungle carrying my shitty surf bag that <laughs> was this, this is the trip where dirtbag was born it actually is This is where yeah. we came up with the idea but to get to the crazy story part one day we were trying to surf uh, a break north of nosaro which is where we were kind of we won't staying. say the name but we won't it's, say it's the a name. great wave it's really scary though <laughs> and 
our buddy Evan, shout out Evan, had rented a car with no insurance. And so we get to this river crossing and it's totally flooded. And we're like, what do we do? What do we do? Uh, and he's like, well, send it. So he just punched it through this river. Man's making noise. And it was pretty epic. <laughs> and when we got there, it was like sick waves and one of my favorite sessions ever because it was pretty big, but there was no one out. So for me, a lot of the fear of surfing Bless You Van uh, comes from crowds. And so this was just an epic day. And what happened on the way back? You could jog my memory. So we've spoken about this story before on the podcast, but for those just tuning in, this is one of the greatest surf trips we've ever taken. A lot of adventure. Evan had rented a car and he didn't get insurance, the optional insurance, which means that if the car broke down, we were all on the hook. Mostly Evan, but we would all chip in if something happened. And we decide to not cross the second river. Instead, we walk and hitchhike. But on the way back, there's like a Costa Rican version of a semi-trailer just in the middle of the river, like <laughs> underwater. Um, and the river had probably risen about 10 feet since, since we decided not to cross. So that was a good call. I can think of another story, and this one has a lesson to it. A basic travel lesson that a lot of people probably already know, but it's easy to forget. Our first trip to Bali, it's New Year's Eve when we leave, New Year's Day when we land. We'd been traveling for probably 16 hours on China Airlines, which is horrendous. I mean, they're serving seafood on the plane, which I don't understand. But anyway, we land, we get into an Uber to go to our Airbnb where we're staying. And in certain countries, you can get an Uber and pay for cash. Bali's one of those places. Um, we don't have enough cash. We didn't even know that we couldn't use our card to pay for the Uber. So the Uber driver takes us to an ATM and I put my card in and it gets rejected. They have no idea. My bank has no idea that I'm in Indonesia. I barely have any service. It's, it's after for me, like 24 hours of travel That's because right. I made the mistake of taking a Greyhound bus to LAX from NorCal, which is not recommended and doesn't even save money. Mm. Now, this was our first international surf trip. And in that moment, like totally delirious from lack of sleep, not feeling too hot. We're standing in this little ATM booth. We owe this guy money outside. There's the thousands of bucks. Crawling with thousands bucks. of bucks. In this moment, I was like, what have we done? The Uber driver what is looking really pissed off. We've never been he's to nice Indonesia. Guy. He's, there he's really nice, nice but we don't want to screw him. We don't want to we don't want to piss so anyone anyway, off. So that was really rough. It takes an hour for me to call my bank and get the we got the money, but we got the money. The, the lesson next morning. What's the lesson? The lesson there is to make sure ahead of time <laughs> you that you call your bank if you if you're planning on withdrawing cash in a foreign country. Also, we, I would change my PIN code on my uh, debit card pretty much every time I'd use an ATM, just as a safety precaution. That's overkill, if you ask me. I don't think so. <laughs> I got to say, though, the next morning we woke up in paradise. We were in the sick villa. We walked down to check out the waves. 
There's a pumping empty beach break. Secret spot that our friends who from the States, but they had moved to Bali. They told us, hey, there's this awesome spot you guys need to check out. Turns out we're living right there. It was from then on, the surf trip was amazing. Nothing went wrong. It was like, I don't know if we can ever reach that standard again because it was just pure paradise. Warong Lagong. Shout out Warong Lagong. We ate there like two, three times a day. (laughs) When you find a restaurant that you like and trust, you you keep eating there. Another travel tip. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we We did not get sick. We met Connor on this trip who was on a previous episode. Check out Connor's episode. Volunteering at at, uh, at a nonprofit that our buddy runs, teaching kids how to swim. But overall, that was an extremely successful surf trip, and it set the bar high. And I'm trying to, th- I mean, we, we've really never had much of a, a shit show while surfing internationally. I can't, I can't think of anything insane. Don't say that. I know, but I, I've heard <laughs> stories on just talking to people. That's one of my favorite questions to ask. Tell me a crazy story. I mean, I'm sure as we go down the Baja more, we'll, we'll, we'll have some stories to tell. But it's been pretty smooth sailing, yeah, surf trip-wise. Yeah, we've had wise. extraordinary luck on our Bali trip and have had just awesome experiences everywhere we go. I will say we did not even bother trying to bring boards to Bali because Why? I don't trust like that. Why didn't we bring <laughs> boards to Bali? I couldn't conceive of putting my precious board on an airplane at that time. And then in Costa Rica. Well, in Costa Rica, I was going to be there for six weeks. So if you're going on a, on a long-haul surf trip, you don't want to pay for rentals for that long. It doesn't make any sense. So I invested in a surf bag, which was not adequate. <laughs> and now we travel with boards stress-free. Everywhere we go. Yeah. And we, we even throw them off of buildings for fun. <laughs> So switching gears a little bit, how did you get into surfing as a sort of profession or as a passion when it comes to Sea Maven? Let me rephrase that. Tell me about Sea Maven. how you said it. Okay, so I needed an outlet for my obsession with surfing. Everything that I thought about was surfing, surfing, surfing. It's a metaphor for life. It is the way I'm connected with all my friends, the way I met you. It's the way I make my decisions. I'm thinking about all surfing all the time and I'm following what's going on in the surfing world. So naturally I needed an outlet I, and I'm a writer so I wanted to write about surfing. Uh, I got an internship with the Inertia after my freshman year, and that was how I got my start in kind of surf journalism, Um, and it was a cool experience. I got connected with a lot of awesome women who I'm still close with now. Uh, One of them was a fellow intern, Jordan Romero. She's a filmmaker, super, super talented. I got connected with Catherine Terrell, who's on the cover of the first edition of Sea Maven through that job. Funny story. You went to Costa Rica (laughs) to help Catherine out with her clothing brand. And when I went to meet you there, I met her husband, Brian. And that's how I got my first job out of college. 
surfing related. It's pretty crazy yeah. to think about how surfing is kind of small world. The the connections that you make, everyone kind of knows everyone at a certain point, and that becomes more obvious every day. So I did that internship. And I wanted to continue with writing about surfing. And so I was pitching to a couple of these other publications. I won't name names. And had very limited success. There were very few opportunities uh, for anyone, but especially women, to break into this field. And it was very difficult to be taken seriously. And people, frankly, weren't looking for the kinds of stories that I wanted to tell. And the writing was terrible. Their Quality work. of the writing, yeah. <laughs> Not mine. Not yours, theirs. <laughs> well, that aside, yeah, there I did... It's hard to find good writing. There was a certain lack of professionalism that I found off-putting. So, not to throw anyone under the bus, but I was like, there's something wrong here. There's definitely a space for a different kind of platform. So I started Maven as a blog... Uh, a website and other people submitted their writing. So we published a bunch of different people from all around the world, all kinds of people. And I was just amazed at the amount of people out there who were writing about surfing, who were shooting surfing, who were in this kind of creative space that have so much to offer. And so at a certain point, I had all this amazing content on the site you're killing me, man. Our dog is really interesting. He's just licking his process. empty food bowl. Uh, Jesus. <laughs> Leave this in. <laughs> Parenting is hard, guys. Okay. Are we done? <laughs> all right. So I had all this awesome content, and I thought that I wanted to give something back to all the contributors who had published on the site. And I just had this crazy idea, let's go for it, let's do a print magazine. I think everyone, who doesn't want to see their work in print? So the first print edition was really my way of saying thank you to everyone who had uh, chosen Maven as a space to showcase what they do. And that was an awesome experience, going in print. And that's really what defined the whole project. It's a real frickin' magazine. We have both sort of forayed into the surfing world, the industry side of things. I feel like your your connections that you've made are unreal. We don't have to name names here, but can you speak a little bit about that and how you've just met? Have you how how you've met all these amazing people? Yes. So especially once the print edition came out, the support was overwhelming because people have wanted a publication like this to exist or more publications like this. And to What do you see mean a publication like this? A different perspective on surfing as a whole that showcases all kinds of people who like to surf and brings in more unique stories and more diverse stories than kind of the same thing we've been seeing over and over again for years and years in the surf industry. So the reception to it was just beyond anything I could have imagined. And I think the pinnacle of this was um, 
last year, we live in San Clemente now, uh, the World Surf League decided to have a new format for the championship tour where the world title was decided in a single heat on a single day. And that was all going to go down in our backyard. At Lowers. At Lowers. So I applied for a press pass and they granted it. And I like woke up screaming when I got that email. I was like, get up, Daddy! Yeah, that was an awesome, (laughs) awesome day. So that's just the prime example of how, you know, it's, it's such a small magazine and the World Surf League is recognizing that. And they brought me in. I got to interview Chris some more that day. And that's just how it happens. What's it like being in the press press area? Is there good food? I know you were, I was trying to get you to give me food and drinks. You were able to, yeah. to get me a bag of <laughs> chips and a bottle of water. Was there anything else back there? So the press pit experience was pretty phenomenal. Uh, I remember before I went, I was trying to figure out what it would be like. I was thinking, are they going to roll out the red carpet for us? Or is it going to be a dingy little trailer on the outskirts of the contest area? And it was just awesome. Uh, We were right in front of the point or the main peak. And we were kind of elevated. You had the best, other than the judges, you had the best view in the house. Yeah, it was super, super crowded. So I know, I was was in the crowd. It was also extremely hot. So I think the best part of the press area was that we had cold drinks. And I just felt so VIP, like to be (laughs) up there with the cold drinks in a wristband area. And yeah, I met some awesome folks in there. We were all there to like get the story and the just the vibe in there, the excitement, the stoke, seeing people make stuff, seeing the WSL press people put together all of the content that we see on the other end. It was really cool and watching the athletes come in, just being behind the scenes. Um, the best part though was when the contest ended and we got access to the stage where they accept the world title trophies, Carissa and Gabe. It was pretty freaking amazing to be amongst all that energy and have a front and center seat. And then after that, I went into the athlete zone, took a selfie with the world title trophy, interviewed Carissa for about two seconds. And that was definitely the best part of the whole experience. I want to bring up something that I noticed at the end of the contest when the champions were crowned. The entire press was flocked around Gabriel Medina, but it seems like pretty much no one was interviewing Carissa Moore. What are your thoughts on this? So as far as Gabriel Medina, I think it's just that he has such a massive fan base in Brazil. They followed him to the event. He's more interested in speaking to them. He doesn't really care so much about the American press, I would think. So... But that aside, Gabriel Medina, this was his third world title. That's great. He did some really sick, really progressive He did a backflip. That was pretty cool. Was that Gabe? I think so. Yeah, that was definitely Gabe. That was the first time I've ever seen someone land a backflip on a surfboard. But then you have Carissa. Not only is this her fifth world title, but she just won a gold medal in the Olympics. 
And the way this went down is they asked all the media people, okay, who wants to interview Gabe and who's for Carissa? I was the only one that wanted to talk to Carissa. Of all the people. What's wrong in the with press? this picture? Yeah, seriously. What's wrong with this picture? So This is mind boggling. I don't was. understand it. And that was another light bulb moment for me. Like, no one wants to talk to Chris except me. Well, clearly there's a reason why I'm here. Absolutely. Do you think that men are more marketable in the surf industry no. currently? Neither do the I. Opposite. That's what I think too. It's just so strange. So I've always thought that it doesn't make any business sense to be so narrowly focused on men in your coverage of surfing or in your brand. I always thought it was so stupid from a business perspective to relegate like all your women's stuff to the side. And now it's even more so because so much has changed over the last couple of years, even since 2018 when I started Team Maven. We've just seen a huge, huge movement towards greater equity and inclusion in surfing. And so now more than ever, people want to hear from women and from more diverse perspectives. And there's so much support for that. So yeah, if brands and media outlets aren't doing that, they kind of miss the boat. And there's definitely going to be new kids on the block who are shaking things up. That's awesome. And you're working on a secret new project right now. <laughs> there may or may not be a Sea Maven revival happening. It's not a secret. I'm shouting it from the rooftops. Sea Maven is making a major comeback in 2023. It's uh, my vision is to basically be the defining voice of women surfing as a quarterly print publication. So, I think print magazines are having a renaissance. I think everyone wants to read a tangible magazine and to see surfing showcased in that way and there's just also you know the time has never been better to celebrate women surfing and work towards advancing women surfing even more because the progression is unbelievable um there's so many aspects of women surfing that get me stoked but when I think about these like little nine-year-old girls doing insane airs at Waco or Laura Enever charging like whatever that horrible break is, Ship Stern's Ship Stern. bluff. Yeah. yeah. Gnarly um, wave. Surfing pipe, uh, surfing the equal stage at lowers instead of being made to wait for the crappy conditions when it's blown out in the afternoon. Like it's really reaching a peak and so my focus has almost pivoted for being a voice of dissent and like trying to argue for greater equality to celebrating where women serving is now and how awesome it is. How can people follow along and stay updated? So right now you can follow Seamaven on Instagram at Seamaven Magazine. And very soon, you will be able to subscribe to get the print edition four times a year. And you can enter your email right now on the website if you want to stay updated, right? Yeah, subscribe to our newsletter, definitely. And get some special perks. Switching gears a little bit. What's it like having a significant other that surfs? Is that important? <laughs> so... 
at the beginning of this interview, you were asking me if there is a honeymoon phase in surfing, like with most other things in life. And I said, yes. But I was thinking about how in our relationship, I don't think there has been a honeymoon phase. And we've been together over five years now. It just keeps getting better. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've been living together for five years, which is crazy to think. And surfing is something that unites us and gets us both really excited. It's something to strive for. It gives us improve. a shared vision for where we want life to take us. So that means that when we grow as individuals... <laughs> <laughs> we grow together. Yeah. And I always feel so bad for people to talk about, oh, my significant other is jealous because I always choose surfing over them. That just sounds like a struggle. <laughs> and we met doing the thing that we love, which is surfing. That's right. I needed a ride to the beach. And you gave me one. <laughs> I had a car. I was like, hey, I have a car. <laughs> yeah. If you're really into surfing, I would suggest just finding a girl that also surfs. I can't there tell you. There are exceptions to this rule, but unless the unless your your I'm talking to guys here, unless your girlfriend is really into photography and surf photography specifically. I mean, I we've seen a lot of these couples while traveling where the husband is out surfing and the wife is on the beach taking photos. I'm, she's down to hang out. On she's the down to hang out. I'm not sure how much, how long that can last, honestly. <laughs> like, well, you know. they need someone to watch the kids, but it's not yeah, going to but, be. <laughs> but we're, yeah, I mean, I guess one day we'll be doing rock, paper, scissors to see who has to stay on the beach. But yeah, being in a, a surfing relationship, it just makes it that much deeper because we understand each other. We understand what drives the other person. And it's how we structure our life. If there was going to be like a surfing dating app, if oh, we God. wanted to help our <laughs> friends find perfect partners, here are the categories that you would need. First and most importantly, shortboard or longboard. You, you should not be pairing shortboarders and longboarders together. That's right. If your girlfriend exclusively longboards, she might as well not be a surfer. No offense. Unless you're also a longboarder, then it's right. Cool. Then it works. <laughs> or if you then both it do works. Both, that's awesome. Um, it has to be goofy or regular doesn't actually matter. In fact, I think in our case, you're regular. I'm goofy. I think this actually is a good thing because I get to work on my backhand when we go to rights on surf trips. You get Surfing to work on your. Super fun. It's super fun. I, I think it's easier to get barreled going back backside. But that's, that's a non-issue, I'd say. If anything, it's a bonus if you're goofy and regular. That, you're not fighting over the same waves all the time. Um, and it, it, it pushes you out of your comfort zone when it comes to surfing backside. Um, what other categories should there be for a surfing dating app? I like where you're going with this. I mean, cold, cold water versus warm water. I mean, you got to be able to do both. You, you, you can't to. limit yourself to, to the to, to warm water. Although I will say, I'm not going to 
spend my hard-earned money and vacation days going to surf somewhere cold. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna actually disagree with this. If Unless I'm it's going go in the winter, doesn't matter. If I'm going on a surf trip, all I care about are two things: good waves and crowds. Crowds. You're gonna. If I don't care if we have to put on a five four, if you're telling me there's gonna be perfect waves and no one out, I will put on that five four and surf frigid water. I hear you, but you know, living in California, it's so rare that we get to surf without a wetsuit, and surfing without a wetsuit is just a whole different experience. It's that's true. It's just with that barrier removed, it feels like the ocean wants you there, and it. I can take such heavier wipeouts in warm water. That's true. And That's so, true. You also have to worry about like jellyfish and yeah. reefs that can you know, infect yeah. you. And I strongly prefer warm water. But I, I'll, I hear I'll go you. Cold but, if I have to. but I feel like cold water is an important thing to have in, in the wave yeah, repertoire. In the repertoire. When I learned to surf in cold water, it contributed so much to my fear and anxiety because the falls feel harder and you're uncomfortable. When your extremities start to get numb, it's harder to function. And so I think that's part of why I was so slow to progress at first. Um, and once I started surfing in even the warmer water in Southern California, that just blew the ceiling off. So cold water surfing definitely has its place. It's really exhilarating. It's a good way to find perfect waves with no crowds. Um, and I have so much respect for the people who do it. Uh, but yeah, you, you gotta be able to do both. You gotta be able to do both. <laughs> and to wrap up the podcast, in one year, tell me a goal that you'd like to accomplish when it comes to surfing. I want to get it, super barreled. I think that's very doable. Can you be more specific? What kind of barrel? Stand-up barrel? I don't care. I just want to get in the pit. You just want to get in the pit. <laughs> so... A couple of months ago, we did our first surf trip to a wave pool to Waco, Texas. And I had one goal for that trip, which was to get barreled. It ended up being one of the best surf trips we've ever done. And I did get a glimpse of the barrel. And so I kind of know now how to position myself and what it feels like when you just start to get that coverage. And it blew my mind because the sound it makes when you get in the barrel it just echoes on all sides and it's like and that was super exciting i want to get deeper in the tube i think that some of the beach breaks around san clemente are going to offer me that opportunity this summer we won't name names we are not naming names but it's just a matter of holding on when the wave starts to get super critical you can turn out or you can just stick with it and that's what i need to do it's kind of like I have the skills. I just need you to... You got to commit. I need to commit, yeah. And that's definitely my goal for the next year. And my goal is to do an air. It's an ambitious goal. <laughs> that's been his goal for five years since he bought his first board and paddled. I was like, I'm going to do an air within a year. <laughs> yeah, I mean, coming from this, from like the freestyle skiing background it seems and skateboarding, it seems so simple, but it's... You have to have the right wave, and then you have to execute. Yeah. And I mean, landing is really difficult. Um, but yeah, I think you can do it. You 
You know how to get some liftoff and some projection. And You've seen me air out of waves. Yeah, I've never out. left going never out. going out. <laughs> Got to go the other way. Yeah, I think you can do it. So, one year's time will be. We'll, we'll update you on the pod. We'll update you on year. the pod. Anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode of Dirtbag Radio. Subscribe, rate, and review, and stay tuned for an episode dropping every week. See you out there. You.